0: Welcome everyone to our first live broadcast from Castle Hill Church. just want to welcome everyone and um, even though you are all at home, I would still love for you to sing with us. Um, we know that the angels are surrounding us right now and will be with this program and every Sabbath onward. Um, thank you for being part of this program and for, for being with us.
1: Good morning everybody. So six months ago in September... 2019, Pablo text me and asked me to preach next Sabbath, the 28th, and he actually gave me a sermon title, Facing the Giant, Praying Through Pain. Who would have known six months ago that today Pablo wouldn't be well? He doesn't have the coronavirus, no, he's got um, a chest infection. That I'd be preaching today about Facing the Giant, Praying Through Pain, to mostly an empty church, and live stream as result of this pandemic called COVID-19. You know what? I think, as we said before, God knew it's for this time. This sermon, I think, needs to be preached. So my sermon today is not going to be about COVID-19. It'll touch on it at the end, but my sermon today is about three seasons in my almost 58 years on this planet, how i face faced my giants and how my journey with God has played out. Those three events, significant adverse life events, were in, 2000, were in 1998, 2007, and 2016. As I've said, each of those were significant adverse life events, life events for me. And I want to share with you how I journeyed through those seasons. The first part being about my giants is probably about 50% of what I'm going to be talking about today, just so you can understand what it was about for me. It may be totally different. Now, I normally start my sermons with a bit of a light-hearted, real-life story, and people normally laugh. Hopefully it's with me, but it's normally at me. And it normally is associated with a push-bike, or a dog, or at the best, it's a push-by to... And I've been talking with God. How do I introduce my normal way? And I've come up totally Um, empty-handed. It's too dark when I'm talking about my giants. Um, So I don't want to make light of the journey. Therefore, I'm just going to dive in. So particular events in 1998... 2007, and 2016, are not really important. Each of them, like I said before, were significant adverse life events. And there was a common theme that I'll try to explain. What I'm going to be referring to is the giants that I faced during this time. Last week, Jess, and Jess is here today, she's in the booth, preached in 2016, ended up with me being clinically diagnosed with depression requiring me to take antidepressants for a period of time. I guess in some ways you can say I'm lucky. Trying to be a bit funny there, but not working. I, had a, I have a predisposition with mental health giants that runs through my family, and I have to deal with that from time to time. Um, I've crashed at each one of these significant adverse life events in 1998, 2007, and 2016. Again, that doesn't mean... My giants are the same as yours. For example, in 2012, my dad passed away in his 70s, early 70s, after a 13-year battle with cancer. Big deal for the family. We all had a, a really tough time. At times, I cried so hard that I couldn't stand up. I had difficulty breathing, and I had snot running down my face. You know those big, deep cries that you have? I felt terrible. There was stress, there was pain, but it didn't push me over and have the impact of my giant of depression. Two years ago, in early 2018, I was diagnosed with cancer, same cancer that took my dad, prostate cancer. Again, it was a big deal for me and my family, terrible, stressful, painful, but it didn't trigger the pain of depression, the giant of depression. We're all different. This is my immediate family, you can see, hopefully. Thank you to Michelle Gibbons for doing our family pictures uh, recently. You all know Vanessa, my beautiful wife, there for almost 19 years. And you know Josh, our beautiful miracle baby, who will turn 11 in May. On the right side of the picture, you'll see Daniel, my son, who turns 30 in May. You're saying, how can Jim be that old? I know you're saying that. Thank you. And Nat, his wife, my daughter-in-law. Sometimes I call it a deal for daughter-in-law. On the left side of the picture, you'll see Rachel, my daughter, who turns 28 next month in April, and Damien, her husband, my son-in-law. You may see Damien around the campus at Castle Hill and Kellyville Church and School, He's helping with the general maintenance there. He's been there for maybe three weeks now. So say hi to him when you see him. Apart from showing off my family to you, the reason this picture is here is to let you know about my giant. My giant is about relationships. If any relationship in my immediate family cracks, creates a distance, I face my giant. I don't know why this is the case for me, Death in the family didn't cause that. My cancer didn't cause me to go into that space. Other things, financial stresses don't cause me to go there. I just simply don't know. I know that the healthy family relationships mean to me a lot. And if they're cracked or broken, those giants consume me. My depression consumes me. What I find myself now that I'm getting a bit older and experience this now three times, I find there's seven things that I start to do. I don't shower every day. It's not a good thing. I skip going to work occasionally. I don't eat and drink well. I either put junk in my mouth or nothing at all. I don't exercise. Running is my go-to exercise. And when I'm in the zone, when I'm running, some of you may be struggling with this concept. When I'm in that zone and I'm running, my relationship with God is just awesome. We're, we're talking, I'm enjoying the outside, I'm enjoying what nature's got. I don't sleep well, I cut back on seeing family and friends and my connection with God suffers and I tend not to go to church. This is our new church. I hear these messages. Pick yourself up from the bootstraps. Think positive, t- positively. Get over it. I say these things to myself in a ruthless way. That, that's just disgraceful. I wouldn't stand by hearing you say this to anybody else, but I say that to myself. Pick yourself up from the bootstraps, Jim. Think positively, Jim. Get over it, Jim. In my experience, clinical depression is a real thing, and it has been a giant for me three times, for three seasons each time. I find myself while I'm walking, just a subtle thing. I'm not looking up, I'm looking down. I'm just consumed and I can't even lift my head up and look at the trees and the sky. I can't even feel the breeze even though it's there because I'm looking down. Last month, Pastor Pablo posted an article on Facebook It's from the relevantmagazine.com by Sarah Robinson called Loving Jesus Doesn't Automatically Cure Suicidal Thoughts. And that article is dated on the website Relevant Magazine the 19th of February 2020. Let me just share a few of the words from this article that helps explain what depression is like. There's physical pain, exhaustion, There's a heaviness. Sarah told her friends it's like dying to a terrible disease and wishing you could hurry up, knowing things can only get worse. It's not just mental and emotional. There's chronic pain either develops or worsens. There's chest pain, migraines, stomach problems, weakening of the immune system, and just some of the common symptoms. I know there's been times where I've said to Vanessa, and Sarah says this in her article, There's bone-deep weariness that becomes a constant companion, Sarah says in the article. No amount of sleep can shake it off. When people say they can't get out of bed because of depression, it's because they can't. Every part, Sarah says, every part of me ached from resisting gravity, just walking around, as though my cells wanted to collapse in a puddle on the ground. And this is where it impacts my relationship with God and others. And I think this is where Sarah's going in her article. Depression often carries an intense, shameful sense of self-hatred. More complex than sadness. There's emptiness, there's flatness, there's irritation. There's a strange numbness. There's a brain fog. The world seems to be moving in slow motion, but you just can't keep up. There's also there a reinforcement about a dangerous idea that seeking medical help signifies a lack of faith. Depression lies. Let me say that again. Depression lies. When healing doesn't come, it's easier to believe that God's left the room, left the relationship. I've been taught that depression and suicidal thoughts are sinful, selfish, displeasing to God and maybe he's right to actually abandon me. What Christians need to know, what we all need to know is that we can be deeply, desperately, wholeheartedly in love with Jesus and be depressed. I encourage you to read the article. If nothing else, so you can understand what some of you, your family, your friends are going through. Tough stuff. Hopefully you can see this on your screens at home. Thank you. Unfortunately, suicide becomes a real and viable option. And in 1998... That's the path I was on. I didn't follow through with my plans. However, it's an understatement to say that it was a very low point in my life. I know you or some of you may need some help. Please reach out and seek professional help. In the article from Sierra that I just noted before, she believes her death would have been a blessing to others as it's too much for others to have to deal with her pain, deal with her giants. Sarah says in her article how she was helped out through this is that she's still here because one friend noticed something was wrong and did something about it. She mentions her friend Angela, invited her to dinner, took her picking blackberries with her kids, constantly reminded Sarah that she was important to her family, that she told Sarah that she loved her and it wasn't her fault that she was broken. And God didn't like it when she was hurting. She simply presented she was simply present with Sarah through her pain. On a hot night in July, Sarah says, when I was tired of fighting to stay alive, I showed up at Angela's doorstep because I knew it was safe. And her family walked with her through the dark. She says, When I needed Emmanuel, God with us, Angela carried him, God, into my life. She helped me believe I was loved and my life mattered. Whatever your giant is, whatever your pain level is, whatever you're going through, Please talk with someone. And I'll talk a bit more about this in a minute, but Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane took three friends and he asked them to help him. If you can hold up your hand and you should be able to say on your hand there are five people that you can name that you can have a a conversation with like Sarah did with Angela. It's easier for extroverts to do that. It's more difficult for introverts to do that. You've got to make it happen because the Bible tells us there will be trouble. Not maybe, or if you're really good, it says there will be trouble. Nearly finished my first section. So... I'm not sure if you can see this slide. It's talking about the Australian Genetics of Depression Study. I volunteered to be part of this scientific research on depression. There's about 21,000 people that have taken the online survey. I was one of them. About 16,000 people have given saliva samples, me included, and about 15,000 of those have have been genotyped, decoded DNA, and and analysis will become shortly. It's to come back and understand what's going on. It's not just Jim. Pull up your bootstraps. I looked up the ABS data from to, the latest ABS data, which is from 2018, and it's a bit scary, sad. 3,000 people commit suicide in Australia each year. That's about eight a day. One significant factor of suicide is depression. Depression seems to run in my family. Sad as cancer. There's a few other things. Didn't ask for any of that. Didn't do anything to bring that on. It just is. So with depression, if there's anything I can do for my family, because it runs in the family, including some scientific research, I think it's a good thing. If you want to help out, if you are going through depression, have been through depression, just type in Australian Genetics of Depression Study in your browser. And you can be part of that as well. So for you listening at home, just in case you've been distracted by getting a cup of tea or distracted on your Facebook or whatever it is, I want to reiterate, my giant is depression. Your giant may be totally different to mine, and that's okay. Especially during this season that we're going through with COVID-19. Moving on to my last two points of the sermon, and they're going to be a lot quicker. I'd like to move on to my journey now about how I've dealt with Jesus through these seasons. Did you know that in the Bible, over 200 times, it says, Fear not, do not fear. When facing my giants, and I'm hearing all that, what I was going through is, Jim, don't you have enough faith? Don't you believe enough? Don't you trust enough? You know, if you didn't fear, you wouldn't have depression. I've asked Vanessa to come and read a couple of Bible verses that have meant something special to her family and to her as well.
0: Um, I'm a nurse, a registered nurse, and I work in a general practice here in Sydney. And a couple of weeks ago, one of our doctors had to go into quarantine, not because she had come into contact with a, a patient that was positive. And I was telling my parents this, and my dad sent me a text um, he sent me Psalm 91, and he was saying how he remembers when he was little in Mauritius. Um, I'm not sure what year, but there was a, a polio um, epidemic going through. And his dad, my grandfather, who was a pastor, and my grandmother got all the kids together and read them Psalm 91. So, And my dad sent the same text to me, and it just meant so much to me to think that there's generations of people who believe in God, who have actually faced different things. And I could picture in my mind my grandparents sitting there with their kids reading this verse. And it meant a lot to me that here it is, my dad passing it on to me. So Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he commands his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. And now this is God speaking. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And the other text um, that always meant a lot to me is uh, Romans eight thirty eight and 39. And it just reminds me that there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing I have done in my past that can make God love me less. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Thanks, darling. These examples I knew were true through my three seasons. I know they are true. But what was wrong with me I was going through and saying, why is this happening? Where is God through all this? Does he actually really exist? You know, my prayer time during these seasons was on a spectrum. At one end of the spectrum, I was kneeling beside the bed and praying, often crying. To the other end of the spectrum, I was yelling and accusing him of many things and at times trying to convince myself that he really wasn't there. Funny enough, How stupid am I? I didn't actually stop engaging him. I think God's actually got a sense of humour by not walking away as I was still saying, you're not real, you're not real. It wasn't a pleasant thing to hear me saying these things to God. And at times I did the, you don't really exist anyway. How stupid am I? I'm actually talking to him and doesn't exist. But looking back on each of these seasons... There was a level of engagement with Jesus throughout each and every one of those fights that I had. But I struggled with praying through this pain. My prayers weren't like the normal prayers that you've heard today, which are all G rated, uh, nice and uplifting. What kept on coming back to me was Jim, it says in the Bible. More than 200 times, do not fear. Fear not. I felt fake trying to be a Christian that had it all together and did not fear. I wasn't able to push aside my giants and engage God with just do not fear. That cycle created a guilt cycle because I wasn't good enough. I was to blame. It's all on me. What do I need to do To change that, to believe enough, to have no fear so that I can actually deal with God and then before my depression would go away. The hope that changed that was connecting with the example of when Jesus was real while he prayed and faced his giants. He was real and he believed. He had the faith and the struggle. And if, Brett, can we put that up on the screen? There's a lot there. This is from Mark 14, 32 to 42. It's the Amplified Bible. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the underlying text that I've put in there. And that says, "...he, Jesus, began to be deeply distressed and troubled, extremely anguished at the prospect of what was to come." And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved and overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I can't imagine him just saying, you know, my soul is deeply grieved. It's, he's, Jesus is saying to the three that are there, My soul is deeply grieved and overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus fell to the ground, distressed by the weight of his spiritual burden. It sounds very similar to Sarah's article. And began to pray that if it were possible in the Father's will, the hour of suffering and death for his sins of mankind might pass from him. Jesus then said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup of judgment away from me, but not what I will, but your will. I can't express how freeing It was for Jesus to give me the example of he knows the Bible better than any of us will ever know it. He said in the Bible, fear not, do not fear, ye of little faith. But here he is struggling. And when I gave myself the time and the headspace, the, the breathing just to take that in, it changed things. He turned me away from what do I need to do to have more faith so I don't have fear to turning, Jesus, it's you. I just need to have a connection that way, as Jesus just did. It was about being real and not trying to push away what I had to do and the problems that I was facing, that I wasn't good enough. I love the example and Brett, if you can put this up again, the next one. This is Mark nine 24. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible again. I love this. Here is a father taking what we say is a demon-possessed son to Jesus to be healed. It says immediately the father of the boy cried out with a desperate, piercing cry. I can imagine that if it was any of my three kids or their partners or Vanessa i can imagine this it wasn't be hey jesus you know if you've got time you know i'm just going for a coffee but it's with a desperate piercing cry he was saying i do believe help me overcome my unbelief it's both it's both it's both i have my giants and i know jesus is full of mercy full of grace, and nothing can separate me from him. And it's okay to feel terrible and lost and scared. So I'm going to put up another text. This is one of my favorite texts. And I um, have said to a few people that I used to give blood all the time, but now with the cancer I have to wait another three years before I'm in remission, before I can give blood again. And... I may get a tattoo. Vanessa's not too pleased, but I may get a tattoo. It's going to be right here on my forearm, and it's going to be this verse. We love because he first loved us. And the Amplified Bible says, because God bestowed on humanity a free will, man is not forced to love him, but rather consciously and freely chooses the response he makes to God's love. This is so freeing. I was able to breathe again because it's not Jim. Stop being fearful. Get on with it. Pull up your bootstraps. It was God loves me. Let that sink in. You big buffed, let that sink in. It was, and I'm feeling really bad. My giants are crushing me. And I'm walking with God, knowing He first loved me. He first loved you. One of my favorite places. That I used to go to, if I can get the next slide up, is Little Bay down um, on the southeast, not too far from the airport. That's a 180 degree view looking over Little Bay. There's a, there used to be a hospital just there. And Daniel, my eldest, um, had an operation when he was, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble now. He was two and a half. He had his left kidney removed because there was a lot of damage. He had his bladder repiped. I used to go to this place while Daniel was there. And it was a great place. I felt totally small but critically important to God by watching this 180 degree view and the waves coming in and crashing. I would sit there often for a long time and I would see these waves coming and I was thinking, you know, I'm so insignificant but so important. If I had a bucket and all my life I was shoveling the water, I wouldn't be able to make one wave come in. God is that big and I'm so small and God loves me. I am his child and I have a giant that's crushing me And I'm able to walk with God knowing he first loved me and he first loved you. Nelson Mandela said, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. I don't want to live a life driven by fears by my giants. I do say that my giants have at times crushed me. I want to continue with my walk with God, because I know he first loved me. What Jesus did, he didn't say, you know, I'm going to deal with all of this and then go to God. He actually went to God saying, this is tough, man. Probably didn't say man, he said, Abba, Father. This is really tough. He didn't turn away from his giant. He turned away, he turned towards God. He didn't turn away from his giants. Let me say that again, it's an important thing. He turned to God. Because God first loved him. He didn't turn away from the problems. He turned to God and as a result, he turned away. The first thing was responding to God's love. I have hope because God first loved me. I'm going to ask Vanessa and Nick to come up and they're going to sing a song for us. Nick's going to play. Vanessa's going to sing. The song is called Even If by mercy me let me just explain a few of the words that are in there it says I know you're able that's God you're able and I know you can save me through the fire with your almighty hand but even if you don't I hope that I can stay connected with you I'll leave it up to you guys
2: say sometimes you win some sometimes you lose some and right now right now i'm losing bad i've stood on this stage night after night reminding the broken it'll be all right but right now now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now I know you're able and I know you can't Save from the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good little faith is all i have right now but god when you choose to leave mountains unmovable oh give me the strength to be able to sing it is well with my soul i know you're able and i know you can save through With Your mighty hand, but even if You don't, my hope is You alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt could all go away if You just say the word. But.
1: Guys, that is awesome. I encourage you to um, not now but take a note to listen to Susan David from TED Talks, and her talk is The Gift and Power of Emotional Courage. Um, She challenges a culture that prizes positivity over emotional truth. I get really tired. Really tired when I keep on hearing you can do it stuff. Pull up your bootstraps. There are times I just can't. And I think what God's asking for us is to be real. Like the song says, even if it's both, I'm going through a tough time and I'm going to connect with you. This was recorded in 2017, it's just over 15 minutes. The other one that I'd like you to also listen to is Breanie Brown, also at TED Talks. And she did one 10 years ago called The Power of Vulnerability. It goes for about 20 minutes. She's had about 50 million views on that. And then two years later, she had another talk about listening to shame. Now, Breanie Brown is a research professor... Psychologist as well, same as Susan David. Um, Bruni has spent the last twenty years studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy, and is an author of the of five best selling uh, books. As an aside, she's a Christian as well. I found listening to these freeing because I can be real. I don't have to come to church and pretend everything's okay. The key text for me here is we love because he first loved us. Because God bestowed on humanity a free will, man is not forced to love him, but rather consciously and freely chooses to respond. It's a response to God's love. God first made the move. He loved me first, he loved you first. And I love this little saying here that I stole from Jess. And she got this when she was at, uh, in Oregon from the camp director. It says, I think if we're real and we say it's not always happy days, there's tough times and I'm struggling and I'm connecting with God and we're going through the journey, the people are going to see a love so strong that they spend eternity searching for its source. That's, I think, what we can and should become. So then at Castle Hill, we talk about being the most loving church. To close out, and then we'll get the singers up for their last bit. Yesterday, Josh and Vanessa went in letterboxed. We live in a cul-de-sac of eight homes. They went and letterboxed those homes and said, hey, we don't really know each other, but it's a really tough time. If you need anything, we're not sure we can help, but here's our number, here's our email address. Today and for the coming months, we're all going to be facing a very difficult, significant challenges because of this global COVID-19 stuff. As you face these giants, my counsel for you is to take the example of Jesus. Be real. Don't wait until you can say, I've got the faith. And have the giants maybe crushing you. Walk with God knowing that he loves you first. I'll just close in prayer, if that's okay. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that we can come together in this unique way on the Sabbath. Thank you that we can talk about you openly and be real. Thank you that you first loved us, and our response is to love you and others. And thank you that the great example of Jesus at Gethsemane, where he didn't have it all together, but he kept on coming back to you. In your name, amen.